From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF. Welcome back, Heather Knight. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, very excited about this episode. Gordon Harvey, a.k.a. Herb Kane Daly, a man from Alabama who loves San Francisco. And I first learned about him reading your column. Right. I noticed several months ago that Herb Kane was posting quotes seemingly from the beyond every day. And I wondered who was this person posing as Herb Kane. So I direct messaged him and learned a surprising answer. He's a history professor from Alabama, a tiny town there, Jacksonville, Alabama, who doesn't really feel at home in the deep south. He's a vegan. He's hardcore liberal. He's a bicyclist. He loves San Francisco, and he comes here for every vacation. He was here to record a podcast with us, and it was really uplifting to remember, oh yeah, there are a lot of great things about San Francisco, including Sutro Tower, which makes an appearance now on his forearm because <laughs> he got a tattoo. That is fantastic. We just learned about that as we walked in here. We had spent hours with him and uh, just learned about it. Um, I love talking to Gordon because he has that outside perspective and his love for the city is really genuine and that's going to come across in our interview and it kind of checked me and I already love the city but it sort of got me focused on why Mm -hmm. we love the city and it's just a delightful discussion. Yeah you'll definitely feel better about San Francisco after this episode. I'm Peter Hartlaub. I'm Heather Knight. And this is Total SF. Welcome to Total SF and welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, Gordon Harvey, aka Herb Kane Daily on Twitter. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. It is a pleasure to have you here. I have um, been wanting to see you in San Francisco and talk to you um, ever since I discovered your, your Twitter account through Heather and then Heather wrote a wonderful profile of you. Hi, Heather. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for remembering that I'm here. Yeah, no, I, would, I wouldn't forget. I'm actually going to let you take the lead in a second. But before we talk about Herb Kane, before we talk about how someone from Alabama who, my understanding, you've never lived here for a extended nope. period of nope. time, nope. is running an account celebrating San Francisco through Herb Kane quotes, um, I want to ask you about what's on your arm there. <laughs> <laughs> you just lifted up your sleeve we, for us. We just had like a, a meetup at Red's Java House, Heather. Yes, that was super fun. A lot of Total SF fans <laughs> came out to meet Herb Kane, had some beer and some burgers, looked at the Bay Bridge. Talked Herb Kane. A um, couple people brought mementos, yeah. including a Herb Kane letter. And then we get here in the Chronicle, and we've been talking. <laughs> I've known you now for an hour and a half. And, <laughs> and you, you saved the best news for last. Yeah, you reveal what's on your arm there. It's a tattoo of Sutro Tower. It, it looks like a fresh tattoo it's, of Sutro uh, Tower. 24 hours old now. <laughs> Did me, that hurt? Uh, not as much as you imagine it would. Every now and then it's like a pinchy, pinchy. Yeah. But, uh, I, keep, I have friends who get them because I think they like the pain, and I don't. I kept, I kept thinking, is this something I would like? And I was like, no, no, I don't think this is something I was like. So, uh, Citro Tower, at the first, uh, I drove into the city when I came here in 2011, the first time, uh, the first thing I saw coming into the city was this big monstrous tower. And 
I had no idea what it was and why it was there. And it's been in my mind, like Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind. I, I see it. It's the thing that screams San Francisco. Why do you like it so much? I don't know. I, it's just... That's very Close Encounters. <laughs> you yeah. don't know. You're just There's making Sutro Towers out of your mashed potatoes. There are some aliens in the city that are planting the love <laughs> of Sutro Tower. And the more, it, you, the more I researched it and looked at images and looked on Twitter and, you know, I even, when I first started thinking Tattoo of Sutro Tower, that, I mean, I wonder if anybody's done that. The number of people in the city that have Sutro Tower tattoos amazes me. It's I, even did, a I did a story on it, actually. I, I, I've, and I interviewed like six people with Sutro Tower tattoos and then heard from 20 more after the story came yeah. out. I think it's Golden Gate Bridge belongs to everybody. It belongs to the world. It's been in movies. It's been in, you know, uh, postcards. People who take photographs for postcards, people who make right. movies almost entirely do it with their backs to Sutro Tower. And then I think in that way it belongs to us. Yeah. So people around here, I think, celebrate Sutro Tower more than they do the Golden Gate Bridge. I also like, and Heather and I have discovered this on our travels, that almost wherever you are in San Francisco, it's like a little beacon there. It's, you can't, you can't yeah. not see it. I've, yeah. I've been taking pictures wherever I am, uh, and I think I'm going to do an epic Twitter feed to, oh. the, uh, to the police Yay. song, Every Breath You Take, because <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere I look. Uh, except when I'm at City Hall, I can't see it. It's yeah. stalking you. Yeah. Heather, do you remember um, how you first discovered Gordon? Because I think I think you should take over this questioning. Um, <laughs> you wrote a whole column. I did. And, uh, yeah. So um, uh, I think a year or two ago, I noticed Herb Kane quotes popping up on Twitter. I started following this mysterious Herb Kane person. Then I wondered who it was, and I kind of thought it might be someone in our newsroom because that would make sense. So I DM'd. Herb Kane and said, who are you? This could make a fun column item. And I vividly re remember that you wrote back, you sure you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, of course. If you say that to a journalist, they're never going to say, no, never mind. I don't want to know. Did you think it was Peter? <laughs> I didn't know. I kind of thought maybe it was Carl Nolte. Well, actually, he's not really on but, Twitter. Yeah, he's not on Twitter. So. Yeah. Hmm. The Venn diagram of people who would love Herb Kane and are on Twitter is kind of it's maybe not, not huge. Diagram. Just a couple. <laughs> so then you told me that you are actually yeah. a history professor in a small town in Alabama, which is not really what I expected at all. No. And that you had developed this kind of strange fascination for San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that first time you came to the city and why you started loving San Francisco so well, much. Well, the first, I mean, the first time you come into the city, if, you, if you're not used to coming to big cities, it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, I remember my kid, uh, my oldest son was... Uh, 10 or 11 then and it, it really upset him because it was just so many people it was bustling but there was something I mean I, I grew up in Birmingham Alabama which isn't big by any means I live in a small rural town now but there's something about cities to me like airports the bustle mm -hmm. people having to be somewhere and then you've got the beauty of, of, of San Francisco and it just sort of from that very first time, it, it really wasn't huge then. Mm -hmm. It just has built over the years, over the 10 years that I've been coming out here. Mm -hmm. And I can't explain it. It's just, um, it's this thing that I've fallen in love with and it, it it's like the ideal place for me. And as a, as a historian, it's, it's a place that's it's so freewheeling and open um, that you can be anything you want to be and it's not, not normal, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you can reinvent yourself here. Um, the city politicians 
will go out and take a beating from the public because that's what they're supposed to do, you mm-hmm. know, in community forums. And it's everything that a city should be. Um, I know it has its flaws, but to me it's like that's the city I want to be in. Hmm. And you told me back when I wrote the first column about you that your politics jibe more with San Francisco oh, yeah, and that you yeah, kind of I'm, feel out of place in Alabama. I'm, I'm pretty blue. Yeah. Uh, I've been that way for a while. I mean, I grew up red, conservative, you know, as a 20-year-old guy in the South. But then, and I tell my friends, I started reading books. And when I when I was training for to be a historian in grad school, that's when everything started to turn. And I, I realized that, that what I had believed was, was not what I really believe. Hmm. And so, so I'm fairly, you know, and the university committee, I'm not an outlier, but in my community, I am, um, I, I try not to expose myself too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Unless I'm you come to San Francisco. <laughs> I'm a blue guy in a red state, so. How, how many days have you spent in San Francisco total, or, or even the Bay Area? Uh, I've come out probably twice a year since 2011, um, usually four or five days a pop. So what is that? Two times 10, 20, what, 60, 70, 80 days? Mm-hmm. Nice. Not all in the city, but in the area. And um, would you say your love of San Francisco grows or yeah. diminishes each Oh, uh, I mean, I, I, it, it, it keeps growing, and I, 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 I'm nervous that it might be seen as obsessive and that I'm, <laughs> you know that I look at the city through really really rose colored glasses and who's this really weird Jethro from Beverly Hillbillies who likes <laughs> our city type thing and but it, it just it, it grows and I, I find myself wanting to devour more of the history of how the city got to be where it is now and what it was mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 I've used this comparison a couple times it's like an onion that never runs out of layers. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the more you peel and think you get it, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city is that um, complex and Byzantine sometimes, but it's that alluring. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's what it is. You know, mm-hmm. you can't. Ex- I mean, there's no one sentence that explains San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You can explain L.A., you can explain New York, mm-hmm. you can explain Chicago. Don't even try with San Francisco, and I think that's why I like it. Hmm. How'd you decide on Herb Cain? Because you didn't grow up reading it. Like, oh. I mean, I was a Chronicle paper boy. I, I was like, it was there, you yeah, know, and, and everybody was talking about it. But you didn't have that experience that a lot of us had. Huh. How did you decide that Herb Cain quotes on a Twitter feed was going to be your tribute to the city? Um, I, I started listening because to, to consume everything about San Francisco that I could, I started Googling San Francisco, San Francisco podcasts, San Francisco blogs, everything. And I ran across a community radio show called Rollover Easy on BFF.FM. Started listening. And at that time, they were going through a book called Great City of Love. And they were talking about the author of that book had a, a similar type of love for San Francisco as Herb Cain did. And that's when I was like, well, who's Herb Cain? Who's this guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I Googled and found out that he was his columnist for the for the Chronicle and Examiner and going on, and um, didn't really think anything of it. And there was a point a few months later that I, f- I wanted to find some way to be a part of the city, or to claim some sort of weird residency, or I can't explain it. And at first I was gonna you know steal poetry lines from published poems and put them on Twitter and then I thought maybe I'd get sued and so that was bad <laughs> uh, and then I started thinking you know if I could do some Herb Cain stuff because everybody seems to love him uh, the first thing I did was search Twitter to see if there was a Herb Cain account there was one that I had posted in a year and I said I'm, I'm here and then you know then I just started I named it Herb Cain Daily I figured 
if I do one a day, that's good. It gives me some connection. It gives me a refuge from what I'm doing. And um, it took off from there. I started with Baghdad by the Bay. I uh, got his other books, started Googling all the famous quotes that everybody knew. And then I ran out and I had to start researching then. So <laughs> it's just a weird story. And how do you pick your quote each day? I used to really try to find a quote that was period appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, baseball season, fall, some sort of election, political corruption. <laughs> um, that took a lot more work than I thought. Uh, the early quotes were there you know Mm -hmm. baseball season um making fun of la uh you name it um now it's sort of uh, now i'm going by years i'm I'm trying to find a year in his life and i exhaust the year of every quote i can find then i move on to the next the problem with me is i'm not a planner i started in 1988 and so i need to go back and start all over (laughs) um so i want to get to the point where i get more seasonal and topic appropriate because Mm -hmm. people have remarked that some of these 20 30 40 year old quotes resonate today and yeah, it's, it's they really eerie do. right yeah you do realize you, that people are complaining about the same things yeah, back right. then that it's, they are it, now. it's it's been the same yeah, yeah. do you have ex- do you have an example um or, or even even a couple of favorites yeah that, uh, my my favorite is where he gets romantic i mean a lot of the stuff that people like are the day-to-day stuff just small snippets of complaints or his sitems or his name freaks um, early on, I was posting a lot of romantic stuff, and I think that's what got people interested. And so the one I love is appropriate now. It's, um, it's from 1990. It's, uh, she is San Francisco, once the girl of our dreams, now a woman grown old. The white robes, all satin and silk, are dirty and frayed. She hides from the bright sunlight. The years have been kind, but the long nights have taken a toll, yet she is still a beauty. Mm. I mean, that that's evergreen. That is. Right. Wait, when did he write that? 1990. Oh, wow. Very, very close to the end, right? Yeah. So when you see all of these um, problems that are so obvious when you walk around San Francisco, how does it strike you as someone who loves the city? So I've been struggling with that lately. Like, I love it, but it just has been getting me down. I've, I've really tried to pay more attention on this trip than I ever have. Usually when I'm here, it's a, it's a frantic move to one place or the other or corralling kids. and. I've been riding Muni all week, um, walking as much as I can, and I've, I've, it, my, my observation is that there's, there's three groups of people in San Francisco. There are the people who live here, work here. Um, there are the people who don't live here but work here, and then there are the people who live here but don't have homes. And those three worlds rarely intersect except when you're walking by on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I watch people when they walk by, uh, homeless people. Um, I watch commuters come in. Um, I try to nod and say hey to people when I'm walking down the street, and that's really not something a lot of people here do. So I get some looks. Mm -hmm. Um, There are problems. There are big problems. There's political corruption. There's, you know, you name it, it's here, but it's universal. It's not just the city. And... um, the thing that I kind of embrace is these are the problems you get when you're a city. No city's perfect. Cities have problems. Cities have positive things. But your perspective determines the way you treat it. And if you love it, you're going to treat it differently than if you loathe it. And if you loathe it, why are you here? And right. it's, you know, it's, you're, I think you're fortunate to be here because this has got everything. Maybe that's pie in the sky. Hmm. Do you see homelessness in Alabama? Uh, there's some in this in Birmingham, Montgomery. Uh, it's not to the extent it is here. Um, the the big cities is where you'll find it. There are 
you know, a handful of homeless in these rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a guy, I ride my bike on a, on a rail, to, uh, it's one of those rail to trails projects. I rode my bike to work and um, there's a guy I find sleeping uh, on the bench at the old train depot um, that's turned into a community center. And um, every so often I'll see him sleeping there, but I don't see him all the time. I don't know where he goes, what he mm-hmm. does. Um, but that's like one in my yeah. town. Yeah. People, people in San Francisco, um, particularly you know on Twitter, um, people who follow us on Total SF are aware of you and becoming <laughs> more aware of you. Um, Roll over easy <laughs> talks about you. What about in Alabama? Do do and I'm not just talking about like people you run across other faculty, your family, how much do they know about you and Herb Kane? What do they think about it? They know very little. I didn't out myself to my family until last week. When oh, no. I had to explain. Really? Yeah. I, well, your I, wife and sons knew, right? No. No? No. Wow. I've kept it secret. I have a couple of close friends who knew, um, who were from the area. Um, and, um, but I... I was afraid of what people would think. I mean, I, I have this habit of creating Twitter accounts with great ideas. This is a great Twitter account, and I'll abandon it after one week. I was going to be, uh, one, one Twitter account was Steve Jobs Hot Takes. <laughs> um, just, uh, one week, I couldn't find enough hot takes. So was, um, this is the one I've st- stuck to the longest. But I, a lot of people in, in my community aren't very... Um, social media savvy unless it's Facebook Mm -hmm. and so I didn't really I felt weird about it I mean you guys get it Mm -hmm. I don't think most people where I live get it um so I just kind of kept myself in the closet so to speak so what did your wife say when you told her she was like what um (laughs) uh, who's Herb Cain (laughs) so I did the whole story this was just last week yeah oh my god well because I had to explain you know I was was coming to research but then I'm also going to this meetup and I won't be able to talk because I'm going to be recording a podcast and Uh I was like why are you recording a podcast and I said well I need to tell you something (laughs) I'm San Francisco famous (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little bit of a something there um but yeah they, they, they it was it was no big deal. Uh, they're used to me doing uh, whimsical stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, yeah, I've kept it. I've kept it fairly quiet. It's it's my own little thing. I didn't want to. I wanted to keep it my own. So you're more famous for it in San Francisco than you oh, are. Oh, oh, God, yes, out there. yeah. Uh, the only thing people know me there for is the chair of the history department. That's it. <laughs> uh, that's, what did your kids think? My when, kids love this city. Yeah, um, they want to come back. Uh, the oldest. After the freakout, uh, I brought him back in 2015 when Man United played uh, their international tour in the summer. We came out and went to the uh, San Jose Stadium. I uh, came out for that. And then two years ago, I brought my uh, youngest son out to see a Warriors game uh, at the old Oracle, mm-hmm. right? Um, they really love it. I, they, I think they like the idea of a big city. They've lived in a small we lived in rural Louisiana, and now we live in rural Alabama. And the idea of a big city with big sports teams and stuff that they never see mm-hmm. um, really attracts them. And they kept telling me, you know, you need to get a job. Can you get a job in California? And I'm just like, well, that's, uh, that's problematic, son. You know, the money I make here, uh, you know, I, I'll have to live somewhere in Fresno to, yeah. to live here. Yeah. Not, no disrespect. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's different though. Um, so Herb Kane was, uh, you know, columnist here from 1938 until I think 95, died of lung cancer in 
1996. Um, I love this. I, I went to look up his obituary, and he would have hated this. It ran in the Examiner, mm. um, <laughs> and he like held on. Everybody kind of knew he was going to go. He had announced his illness, and people knew it was time. And he held on just long enough that he missed the Chronicle deadline. So the Examiner, they're publishing under a joint operation agreement at the time so that the Sunday paper was the Examiner. The, the Examiner did all the news on Sunday. So if something happened on a Saturday, the oh, wow. Chronicle wasn't able to cover it. So Rob Morris, who I, I knew very well when I worked at the Examiner, and um, I don't think he and Herb Cain got along very well. And he ended up writing the tribute to him and everything, which... Herb Cain would not have liked. They didn't have a pre-done obituary for Herb Cain? No. I mean, wow. I mean, well, they may have, but it wasn't going to run in the Examiner because Examiner ran Examiner news stories. Mm. So they ran a big tribute section later. But, um, but I'm reading through here, and I learn new stuff all the time. Um, so I'll actually read. This is from the San Francisco Examiner on February 2nd, 1997, the day after Herb Cain died in 97. Uh, the Chronicle had planned to cover his death with a four-page special section on Mr. Kane for its Saturday edition, but the columnist lingered more than an hour after deadline. Perhaps the first deadline, his colleagues said, he had missed in a newspaper career that spanned 60 years, <laughs> and the rival examiner had the Kane scoop. Uh, just another little piece here. Mr. Kane was born in Sacramento on April 3rd, 1916. He became a sports writer in the old Sacramento Union while still in high school. As he told the story, when he handed in his first article, the editor told him, put your name on it. I don't want anyone to think I wrote that. <laughs> which, <laughs> which uh, and there's lots of quotes, you know, even, even when Herb Kane died, you know, you can't help but laugh and smile and all those things. Now, I've been my whole life, you know, learning more about him, reading him. What are you, you're, you're kind of almost like cramming Herb Cain. Yeah. Um, do you like him more as it goes on? Do you learn new things? I The thing that I like about Herb is that, and I call him, I don't know if I've read this somewhere else or if this is my creation, he's the soul of this city. And there's, you know, he was the first to criticize it. He was the first to defend it. He was the first to romanticize it. And um, when I was in grad school studying Southern history, which is what my train for, I took a class on Southern literature. And Southern literature is known for certain characteristics that sets it apart from other literature. One of those is a sense of place. Herb had this sense of place about San Francisco. It's like no other. Um, quick to criticize, but just as quick to defend. You, you, you can criticize it if you're here. If you live here, you can take it to task. You can rip it apart. But if you don't live here, how dare you? Because mm -hmm. you don't get it. And I, I totally understand that. Um, you know, people from L.A., people from where I live, see San Francisco as a, a bastion of liberalism and, and, and homosexuality. And then you name it, everything that they think is wrong with the world. Um, but her saw San Francisco in a much better light and a much deeper light. And, and that's, this is that sense of place because San Francisco to him was home to, to I dare say us, mm -hmm. a home. Um, but he is the one person who could remind you all that is good and bad and will be good again about a city. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the thing that I keep coming back to, regardless of the whimsy of the, of the quote or how deep it can be. Because if you read his post-1989 earthquake stuff, there's no humor there. There is yeah. nothing but but 
a soul crying for his city, and that's powerful stuff. And he 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 cuts his writing down a lot, but those post earthquake columns are some of the best stuff I've read about mm. this city. It, the 70s, I mean, when, and, and it's similar to what's going on now. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of things going on here that were getting national attention. Um, Jim Jones, assassination of the mayor, and um, and the city was hurting. And if you read those columns, at least as I've gone through the archives here, he almost took care to, and not in a fake way, but to romanticize the city a little bit more to remind people, you know, how we can get through this, why it's worth the trouble, um, what are the things that we should still love about it, even though there were a lot of things that, um, you know, were not lovable, were, were horrible. And I really get that feeling now. Um, And I think it's a reason probably why your Twitter feed resonates a little bit more than it would have maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, I think so. Very well said, Peter. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm tearing up. Thank you. I thought a lot about it while we were at Red's Mm -hmm. having our burgers and um, one beer at lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Only one. I wanted another. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's just so much devastation on our sidewalks. City Hall is going bananas with one more layer of corruption every day, it seems. And so it's nice to be reminded of the good. And I felt that way when we were at lunch just now and, you know, waxing poetic about San Francisco and looking at the beautiful Bayviews. And it's, you know, we, I, I, I said we, but San Francisco You count. Has, you're, you're one you, of you us. I've got weird. a library card, right? <laughs> I've mean. got a clipper card and a library card. I'm virtually resident now. All I need is a high six-figure salary and a Patagonia vest. <laughs> um, th- none of this is a monopoly. San Francisco doesn't have a monopoly on any of this. This is everywhere. Um, and sometimes when you're so deep into it, you can't see anything other than what's in front of you. And mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's my contribution is to remind people that this is a pretty cool place. Yeah. Well, thanks for reminding us. I was hoping we could get to just a couple of Herb Cain quotes. And I didn't pick a bunch of quotes. I picked my favorite Herb Cain column, which I'll share in a little bit. But I wanted to give you the opportunity, and even if you're just reading your last five tweets, um, a couple of quotes that you really stood out to you and that you like from yeah. Herb Cain. Um, several about his romantic side that I love. A city is where sirens make white streaks of sound in the sky and foghorns speak in dark grays. San Francisco is such a city. By the way, the foghorn, man. Okay. What year was that from? Uh, this was, uh, I don't have a year. To, this was before my, I started dating the tweets because people would ask me, and I was like, mm. oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, 1990, he said, where else but San Francisco would you find four guys wearing white tie and tails and baseball caps playing Bach and Mozart on saxophones while seated on a busy downtown street? corner don't ask me i can be every i can't be everywhere at once 1990 here we go this is the one that i like that uh kind of resonates from my side of the country from its beginning san francisco has been called a wicked city sodom and gomorrah is a favorite charge leveled by frightened people who fear as the old saying goes that somewhere somebody may be having a good time (laughs) and that's that's what i think is the deep down root of a lot of the criticism of san francisco is that Jealousy. It's jealousy. It's envy. It's that that outward moralistic attitude, but inward, it's like, boy, I'd love to go there. And that's why you see. I mean, there's a lot of people from my side of the country who come out here. Yeah. If it's so bad, why are you here? You know, right. you think you'd go to um, somewhere that fits your taste, but yeah. they're coming here anyway. 
And they're probably not avoiding all that's fun in San Francisco. Oh, they're just no. keeping it hidden, right. don't you think? You don't have to, you know, what, stays, what happens in San Francisco stays in San Francisco, I think. I, I find in my, in my searches, I'm often um, looking for, you know, what Herb Cain said about bullet or something. And, and it's those three dot columns where he's jumping yeah. all around. And at the time that I read him, I remember maybe those resonated a little bit more with me. But I prefer now when I run into one of those romanticized columns, mm -hmm. especially when he wrote an entire column that was on one subject. Yeah. And uh, and then I realized, like, OK, he wasn't just a good gatherer of facts. He didn't just have a good network. He couldn't just turn a phrase. He was an incredible columnist. Yeah. And I always think like the thing about him that's different is that his batting average is so good. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, most columnists, you have a hit, you have a miss, you have one that's okay, you're batting 333, you're doing okay. And I will find random Herb Cain columns and there will be something in there that I'm just like, oh my God, that's better than the best thing I've written in my life. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I brought my favorite Herb Cain column and, you know, just, I ran into this, uh, I was doing research on Playland at the Beach and wanted to see what he had to say about the final day. And it was one of those times in the archive where I'm looking for something and hope I get a little thing. And then I see that he wrote an entire column about Playland at the Beach and it's my favorite column. I'm just going to read the first fourth of it, but um, every section, it's it's like a, it's like a great piece of classical music. Um, here's the first stanza uh, titled, We'll Never Go There Anymore. It's his last day uh, as Playland at the Beach is closing. Since it closes forever after today, I decided to give Playland at the Beach one more chance to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Parking my Mazda rotary where the city meets the sea, I stepped up to that familiar open window at the corner of Balboa and ordered a bullpup enchilada quote, famous for 49 years. This one tasted a little younger and had plenty of zing. Bullpups are not for kids. Kids spelled with two Ds because <laughs> bullpup and was spelled with two Ls and two Ps. Then I walked up the block to the It's It place and had a 40 cent corn dog with plenty of mustard and ketchup and topped that with an It's It itself. This is why you like it, Peter. <laughs> it's it, well, he, he kind of criticizes yeah. a little bit. The fabled sweet meat made of two oatmeal cookies with vanilla ice cream between, the whole covered with chocolate sauce and frozen. The It's It didn't taste as good as I remembered it from years past, but hardly anything does. For one thing, the ice cream between the cookies should be flat. This was round, scooped out like a golf ball, and it never did soften into a manageable mess. Still, as junk food, it's right up there with Taco Bell and Shakey's <laughs> oh, Pizza. Oh, now we really know why you like it. And dyspepsia was fast setting in. I had planned to get a little heartsick over the closing of Playland, but heartburn would have to do. <laughs> nice. uh, and he goes on with three more fantastic, um, uh, you know, little mini columns like that. Um, that's just where, you know, it, it doesn't age, no. you know, and, and he's talking like he could be right here talking to us. It doesn't feel dated. Um, the specificity, which is something I really struggle with writing. I mean, he's just able to do it in such a way that it, that everything seems to age pretty well. Yeah. Today's, um, was evergreen. He said, no, muni service doesn't decrease in direct proportion to a fair increase. It just seems that way. Mm -hmm. That's 19, <laughs> 1988. <laughs> so you are in San Francisco now, not just to absorb the wonderfulness of the mm. city, 
but you're on a research I'm mission. I'm actually as on well. work, yeah. Yeah. You figured out a way to tie in your work and uh, and come here to research. And get a sutro tattoo. Yeah. That's the beauty of being a historian. You choose a topic at a place that you like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm researching bike messengers. Um, I got curious about what it was like to be bike messengers, and Hollywood movies weren't quite cutting it. Mm-hmm. If you talk to a bike messenger about movies like Quicksilver or Premium Rush, they just kind of start giggling, and they know it's fiction. So I tried to find a book about bike messengers, and there wasn't one. I became really interested, and I had planned to write a book about bike messengers across America after 1970 because there's nothing uh, about them, and they're so transient in the job that I wanted to get some record of what they did and how they did it. But the more that I've researched here this week, um, the more complex and awesome the story of San Francisco Messengers is related to labor unions and going back to, to the early 20th century in the city, policing, bike safety, the economy, that I think this is going to end up being a San Francisco bug. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I could take this city's messengers and leave it in one chapter. Yeah, um, It's the, the more I dig, the deeper I go, and it never it never runs out. Are you running into people who, um, talking to people who were messengers in the 80s, 90s? Because I, when I came here in 99, that was one of my first beats was, you know, having some connection with the bike messengers. And, and uh, it was a super interesting group at the kind of cusp of some big changes in the city. And I'm just curious what they're up to now. Yeah, um, those if you if you messenger for ten years, you've had a career. Uh, it's dangerous. It's it's not for the for the faint-hearted. To to messenger for a decade means you've you've survived and you found a way to do it. But most of them, there's still a few that are still doing it. Who were doing it in the eighties? Um, mm-hmm. They're grizzled. They they know the city back and forth. They're they're surviving. Most of them get out after ten or eleven years and they do something else. Um, one's running a tattoo. Well, the guy who gave me the tattoo, uh, he he realized that it was it was becoming more dangerous, and he uh, learned how to do tattoos and quit. And now he runs a tattoo shop and did a really nice tattoo on my arm. Um, there's another one that uh, retired, and now he's a stagehand. Um, he was one of the organizers um, when the uh, the messengers tried to organize in the in the late '90s and early 2000s. Um, they're around. The problem is that you can't really just go up to people and say, hey, do you know any messengers? Uh, current messengers are a little bit suspicious of uh, middle-aged bald guys walking up to them and saying, tell me your story. <laughs> the older guys want to share their story, and once the older guy shares his story, he gives you the number of three other older guys. And it's they're, they're still – bike messengering is a job, but it's also uh, a culture and a lifestyle And that the fact that the things that they do for leisure are, is on a bike or on a bike – the things that they do for work or on a bike, the type of things they do for fun are the same types of things they do for money. And they are so tight and so much a family that I don't think people realize it. And that's kind of the, the reason I want to write this book is that it's a much more complex group of people than what most of us have always assumed messengers were, were ne'er-do-wells, can't be employed. All they can do is ride a bike. But they are smart, they are talented, they are musicians, they are artists, they are brave. Um, they're a little bit crazy, yeah. Um, but it's it's a fabulous story, and I, I'm amazed somebody hasn't written it yet. Hmm. Well, I, I look forward to it. I hope when this book comes out, you will come to San Francisco, and uh, Heather and I can interview you again. Oh, because that, yes. that sounds like one I will be 
very excited. I about. want you to autograph my book. That, that's this is good motivation to actually start writing the book. <laughs> uh, as any writer will tell you, when you're in the middle of one book, you start fantasizing about your next book because that seems much more fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's my stage now. <laughs> well, we will all get tattoos when you come back. <laughs> Running joke with Heather: she does not want to get a tattoo. I might get a sutra one. Last time you were trying to pitch me on a seagull tattoo, which I was not excited about. You might get a sutra tattoo. Oh, that's more exciting than anything else. As I always say, <laughs> on you can get them tiny or. Big, Tiny. As big as you want. Podcasts are binding. <laughs> so, uh, that is happening. Uh, thank you very much for coming on Total SF. I was wondering if you could take us out with a Herb Kane quote. Yeah. Okay, so this is a funny one uh, about drivers in the city. Nominated for oblivion, those how am I driving stickers on the backs of trucks and vans. The answer in most cases is like an idiot. <laughs> 1988. Again, still accurate. Timeless. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. We hope to see you again. And next time you're in San Francisco, let us know. And um, we took you to Red's Java House, and you are a vegan. (laughs) We'll do better (laughs) next time. (laughs) So we will do better next time. We owe you lunch. Uh, Thank you, Gordon Harvey. Thank you. It's an honor. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you, Heather Knight and our guest, Gordon Harvey. Total SF is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. That's www.sfchronicle.com slash P-O-D. Yeah.